There were several years ago where my wife and I, uh, we find, well, I finally got to meet Callie's cousin. It was the first time, I think we'd been married about 10 or so years, that I'd ever seen him, heard from him. They lived in California, far away, didn't get to get a whole lot of chance to get to know them. And uh, so I was a little nervous because, you know, if the cousins don't approve you in the family, that's kind of a bad deal. And especially if you've been married for a while, that's not going to go well either. So I was a little nervous when I got to meet Jeff. But Jeff came in and he had just had one of the most incredible situations happen to him. He got to go on a mission trip. And I'm not sure if it was his first time, but I know it was the time that impacted him quite a bit. And Jeff sat down, he was telling us he got to go with his church to the Philippines, and he got to go spend some time with some teenagers, and he was out there, and he was working and and ministering to them, and he thought he was going to go there and just kind of do the soccer camps and have fun and kick the ball around and just have a good time, and that's it. You vacation, you go kick the ball around a few times, you try some new food, you go home, you have a great experience, we'll call it a mission trip. What Jeff didn't realize is God was going to radically change my life through his experience. And really a situation that he probably didn't expect himself because obviously God had changed his life as well. And as Jeff is starting to unpack and talk about his trip, he tells us that when he got there, he sits in the room and they're kind of like, here's what you're going to do and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And then he gets to Jeff and says, Jeff, you're going to take a group of teenagers and you're going to go door to door and start praying for people in the village. What you need to understand about Jeff is he told us, he said, I don't even pray for food. I don't know what to do. And to a point, which point apparently the, the leader of the trip said, oh, you'll be fine, just go. And so Jeff, here's Jeff walking door to door, uh, hut to hut, village to village, and he's praying with people that he's never met before. He doesn't even speak the language. I'm sure they took a translator, but he's, he's not really in on what's going on. And all of a sudden, God reveals to him what prayer is all about. Because he started praying for people that were having uh, medical issues, pr- parents that were just having some tough times, just making sure their kids were okay. He started praying for a number of things, and he realized, and he was sharing this with the family, and this is the part that really changed my life. He said, you know, Americans think that when we pray, God is going to act. The Filipino people, when you pray, they expect God to act. And so you're sitting there, or I'm sitting there on this couch, and I'm like, well, good Lord, let's just take an offering and go home because that's the message right there. Because that'll radically change your prayer life when you start to realize that the power that God says is in you, as soon as you speak it and say, God, I need you to act in this situation, that there are situations where God doesn't wait for a long time. It's immediate. And for some of us, you know, sometimes God doesn't want to act immediately. He wants to take you on a journey, but he will act, and he will bring an answer to that prayer request. He just wants us to pray with expectation. Because some of us, you need change, do you not? You want change in your life. The difference in some of the folks that are in the Philippines and some of us that sit in this room is, when they speak it and say, God, I need a change, they expect God to move. And some of us are like, well, if you get around to it, you know, if you have time, You know, I know you're busy in Houston, so if you need to take care of that and come to me in a couple months, then that's great. We forget as Americans sometimes, and we forget as Christians all around the country, all around the world, not only the country, but around the world, we forget how big God is and how small we are. We forget how powerful God is and how weak we are. And we forget that Jesus tells us a number of times in the Bible, if we will just speak it, that God will begin to work it. Notice, I didn't say do it, but he'll begin to work it. Because what God's going to do is, if it's not in God's will, he's going to bring it back to his will, and he's going to work you into that will. 
If God says, yeah, that's absolutely what I want to do, then he is going to do it right then and right there. He is God. He can choose. I don't have control over it. You don't have control over it. But the point is, if we begin to say we need change, then we need to expect the God of change to act on our behalf, not think he'll do it when he gets around to it. Make sense? Go with me in the book of Luke, chapter 18. There are a number of times in the Bible where Jesus is walking through the villages and people are just surrounding him. I mean, imagine going to a parade. Anybody been to a parade? Anybody in your life? There's a time, you know, the police, they come and they kind of back you away, but don't we all, like, when the parade's coming down the street, like, if this is the line, we try to lean a little bit so we can see what's going down. Those of you that have been, like, Disney World or Universal, when, when characters are coming on the floats and you're trying to, like, see and get the best possible vantage point and you kind of flood the, the street a little bit and then somebody has to gradually bring you back. I lived in New Orleans for a few years, and I remember going to Mardi Gras parades, and that's just a whole different kind of situation, but nobody would follow the rules. You just pray that nobody got ran over. That's really serious. Like, you just pray that nobody got ran over. And all these times, like, there's just crowding going on in these parades. That's kind of like what was happening in New Testament. If Jesus walked down the street, I guarantee you he found an audience, and they were coming to see who this man of Nazareth was. They were trying to figure out, is this the same guy that the Bible's been talking about for a long time? Is this that guy? Are the rumors true? Is the reputation true? Who is this guy? And so you have stories in the Bible where people are they're, they're noting that people are saying, if I could just get near him, man, he would do something in my life. There was a lady that was, had hemorrhaging for 12 years. And, and if we go 12 seconds, we freak out. She's 12 years. And she just says in the Bible, she said, if I could just touch his garment, I know he'll change my life. I know he'll heal me. Not his skin, not high-fiving. We're not fist bumping. If I can just touch just a little bit of his shirt, I know that he will heal me. There is expectation in the Bible when these people are around Jesus. Does our prayer life need to change a little bit? I would say so. Because some of us, and and I'm going to point the finger at myself, because I've done this more times than I care to admit. I kind of come to church there a few times, and I just kind of punch the card and go on about my week. And that's not why Jesus brought us here together. That's not why Jesus wants to change our lives, just so we can punch some cards and be like robots and go out about, about our business. Jesus brings us here so he can change our life. If you got brought here by an invitation, it's because the person that invited you said, if you come, I think Jesus will change your life. And we're telling you right now, we don't think, we know. If Jesus has put somebody in your path and you're like, man, what a coincidence. It's not by coincidence. It's because Jesus orchestrated for you to cross paths. If something begins to happen in your life, you're like, man, where did that come from? It's because Jesus did it. And Jesus made it happen. And he wanted you to see his power. He wanted you to see his faithfulness. He wanted you to see his righteousness. And he is doing it for you. We kind of need to change our attitude. And we need to change our approach to the throne, our approach to the kingdom. I mean, let's be honest real quick before I get into the scripture. If Jesus like, just showed up right now and stood beside me, first of all, I'm going to jump over there first. That's going to be my first reaction. But I'm coming right back. But how many of us would be so weirded out? We wouldn't know what to do. I need to get away from that where I don't jump away from him. I jump into him. I jump into his arms, into his grace, into his love. Because what he wants to do is change my life. I need to begin to stop thinking about Jesus changing my life, and I need to begin to expect Jesus to change my life. So look at chapter eight, uh, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 35. 
My little subheading says, the blind man receives his sight. It says, as he, Jesus, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the road begging. Hearing a, hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then, like many good people in the church, they told him, you need to keep quiet. But he kept crying out more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that the man be brought to him. And when he came closer, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, receive your sight, for your faith has saved you. And instantly the man could see. And he began to follow him, glorifying God. And all the people that, he, that saw it began to give praise to God. Several things in there. Here's a man blind, sitting. He's been his whole life, for a long period of his life, he's blind. He can't see. But somehow this man knew of Jesus' reputation. Some of us, we've never known Jesus Christ, but we know of his reputation. We've, we've heard about the people going to church. We've heard about people getting baptized, and we've heard about people going on mission trips, and, and God doing some incredible things, and you keep using the term God and Jesus, but who is he? We know of him, but we don't know him, some of us. And yet here's this man. He has never seen him. He has never touched him. He's never talked to him. He's only heard the reputation, and when the reputation becomes reality and walks right in front of him, he can't help but scream, Ooh, me! Here I am! Jesus, have mercy on me! And some of us, we act, oh, you know, it's cool. What's up, Jesus? <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? But here's the deal. There are other things happening here because now he's alerted Jesus that he is in the, in the presence. He's here. He can, he can hear him. He knows he's coming by. And the people, the crowd, are, they're saying, don't bother the teacher. He's got important things to do. Some of us, we do the same thing. Like, yeah, that's a great prayer request that you have, but there are some others. Let's get to the big ones. I'm telling you right now, if you have something on your heart that you need Jesus to be a part of, it's not great or small. It's just, I need Jesus, then give it to Jesus. And if we are really the brothers and sisters of Jesus, if we are really the church that we say we are, then whether it's great or small, we're going to come and we're going to be with you. We're going to pray with you, and we are not shutting you up. Because if it's important to Jesus, it needs to be important to us, and every person on this planet is important to Jesus. And so the crowd says, be quiet, and he says, no, 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 no. I heard Jesus is here, and so he goes, oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus is alerted to his presence, and he says, whoa, well, come on, let, hey, make way, let's go, clear a path, let's bring him over here. What is it you want me to do for you? I mean, wouldn't we just love to have a moment with Jesus, and that's the question he asked us? Some of you would be like, oh, let's see. Well, we could do the world peace route. We could do the I want to get rich route. We could do the happy home, happy wife, happy life. We could do the, you know, be with the orphans. This man didn't have to, he didn't have to think about it. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to see. We may have our sight, but that's the same prayer request that some of us need to have with Jesus. Jesus I want to see. I want to see you. 
I want to see you show up in my life. I want to see you change my life. I want to see you show up in my marriage, in my, in my life of my kids. I want to sh- see you show up in my job. I want to see you. Because I promise you right now, as a pastor and friend, as a brother, as just some random stranger that has a microphone, if Jesus shows up in your life, Jesus will change your life. If you begin to see Jesus, then you won't worry about the things that are materialized or temporal. You'll only think about the eternal, and you will want Jesus in your life. And so as we think this, and as I was studying, I was reading, I'm learning there's a lot of things that I can learn from this blind man. Not only how to survive life being blind, which I'm sure in itself could be a course, but I learned a lot from this man from Jericho. And here's what I learned that I think is appropriate for us. We don't need to think we need Jesus to change our life. We need to crave Jesus changing our life. We need to crave the change that only Jesus can provide. Look at this man's faith. There was nothing, nothing was going to stop him from taking his shot at getting to know Jesus Christ. Some of us, we, we, we know we need change. We want the change, but we are either afraid of asking or we're afraid of the consequences of asking. Because that means that actually life would have to therefore change. But I'm telling you, if your change involves Jesus Christ, whatever it is, it is worth the risk. It is worth the consequences because Jesus will be involved. I promise you that seat that you're on here in a few moments, we're going to have a time of response. That is not made of glue. There is no magnets holding you down. If you have a change that you need Jesus to be a part of, then get out of your seat. Find a prayer partner. Come to one of these crosses, and let's make the change. But we need to crave it. Teachers in the room, how many teachers have been a teacher in your life, whether it's Sunday school or in the classroom? One of our, okay, so we've got teachers all around the room. They will know this experience. Some of you wish that you've had this experience for some of your classes, but isn't there always that one kid or that one student in the room that when you ask a question, they go, ooh, ooh, I got it, I got it, I got it. Am I right? There's always that one. Some of you are like, well, not anymore. That may be back in the, back in the day, but now the kids are like, can you wake up, please? But usually there's that one student that wants to answer every question. We need to be that one student when it comes to Jesus. We need to want Jesus so bad that we can't wait to get to life group. We can't wait to get to church. We can't wait to share a story. Already this morning, I had four stories. I'm kidding you not. We could talk about it after church if you'd like to verify these stories. But four stories before 10 o'clock that people came up to me and said, man, Jesus did this in my life this week, and and God is going to do this. And, And I had this encounter at work and this. And then I had a situation where this happened. And I'm like, this is incredible because Jesus showed up and I didn't even ask and already people are praising the Lord for how he's been working in their life we need to crave it we need to crave Jesus way more than we crave any college football team or NFL team or hockey team or basketball team or you name the team we need to crave Jesus more than that we need to crave Jesus more than anything you can possibly think of Because I promise you that whatever Jesus offers is way better than something that lasts only for a season. We need Jesus. This blind man knew that. He said, I don't need you to tell me to be quiet. I need Jesus. So you can go here. I'm going to Jesus. We as a crowd, we need to crave Jesus for people sometimes. Some of us are going to go through seasons where maybe you're good. 
and Jesus has been all things to you, and you're, and you're fine, but you need to crave Jesus for somebody. That's called evangelism. I can't wait to share what God's been doing. I can't wait to see what God wants to do in your life. And if you have to let them borrow your faith, then you do that because you want, you want to crave that Jesus would show up in their life, and so you do it. And you crave that Jesus would move in their life in powerful ways that they can see, that are visible, that are clear, and you just crave it like you've never craved anything else. And then watch the Holy Spirit begin to make some appointments and some situations happen that allow Jesus to be shown brightly, to bring him glory and, and, and just power, and watch people's lives get changed. The second thing that we need to recognize is that, you know what? If you notice in Scripture, go back to, go back to Luke verse 42. Do you know what Jesus said? He didn't do the Jedi trick like, you may not have your sight. He said, your faith has healed you. Jesus didn't touch him. Jesus didn't like do like the one trick where he said, hey, I'm going to go take some mud, and we're going to put it in your eyes, and you go wash. He looks at the man, and he says, your faith has healed you. For some of us, we need to realize the difference in Jesus showing up in our lives and not is not something happening or not happening. It's the faith of Christ that we possess. We need to have faith that can move mountains. We need to grow in that faith because sometimes it's not easy. Can we be honest? It's not easy to look at a wall and say, well, you know, Jesus said I can move that with my faith. Jesus was saying, if you would just believe in me the way you say you do, things will change in your life. I want my marriage to be stronger. Where's your faith? I want to have a better job. Maybe the location of the job is not the change. Maybe it's the faith in Jesus in the current job that needs to change. I want my situation to be more prosperous. Well, what are you looking for? Slot machine faith? Scratch-off faith? Random draw faith? We need faith in Jesus. Because Jesus and faith in him will change any situation. How do I know this? Because I'm watching the TV right now, like many of you are. I'm listening to the stories. I'm, I'm sharing some of the stories. I watched a lady, the 84 years old, had her birthday in the middle of a furniture warehouse. Had just lost everything that she'd possessed down in, down in South Texas. She said, I don't have anything. And her faith said, but I'll be okay. And her faith was rewarded because the man that owned the store walked up and said, I'm going to take care of you. For your birthday, I'm going to give you a new mattress set. I watched a college football team yesterday, probably all his life since he was 12 years old, a young man said, I'll never be able to play the game of football. I'll never be able to do anything sports like I used to love when I was a little kid. Somehow, some way, it orchestrated that he won a scholarship to his favorite university. And yesterday, with three minutes and 13 seconds, he got to walk out on that field and be the long snapper for his football team, and it was a perfect snap. They made the extra point, and he got to be a hero just because he wouldn't give up. I think we need to have that kind of faith. That no matter what my circumstances, my faith will get me through. My faith will make me stronger. My faith will be enough, not only for me, but people around me. I will make sure that my faith is the miracle worker and not my faith in me. Let's be clear. I'm not talking about the self-esteem faith that, man, I feel good, and I look good, and I must be good. I'm talking about the faith in Jesus that only changes things. 
that if my faith in Christ is strong, then my life in Christ is strong. If my faith in Christ is, is where it needs to be, then things are going to happen either in me or through me, but Jesus is going to move because of my faith. Go back to the lady I was referencing earlier that in 12 years had been suffering. She touched his garment. You know what made her strong? Not the touch, but the faith. You have other situations in the Bible. Jesus didn't do anything, but he looks at him and says, because of your faith, because of your faith. That means not only do I need to crave Jesus in my life, but I need to grow my faith. How do I do that? You can do that through life groups. You can do that through personal quiet times. You can do it through circumstances and situations. Because when the world takes a swing, it's not going to be fun all the time. But when they take a swing, then you remember, I got Jesus. I'll be just fine. If I got nothing else in this world, my faith in Christ will be okay. I love it, Jesus' response to the man. It's your faith that's healed you. It's your faith. Question for you, where's your faith in your situation? Last thing I would share with you is this. Your faith in the situations that happens, the stories of your life, just by a show of hands. We're not asking for people's stories. That is not this time. But how many of you have seen a situation in your life where the faith in Christ has shown up and Jesus made a difference in that situation? I want you to look around the room. If your hand's not up, it's not to embarrass you. Don't start throwing it up like, oh, I'm... I want you to see this is testimony that the faith in Jesus can make a huge impact in your life. Thank you so much. Why is that a big deal? Because the people that just raised their hands, this is for you. You need to tell somebody about it. You need to tell somebody. If you had your hand raised, then your job this week or over the next few weeks or the next few days is to tell somebody how Jesus took your life and made a huge impact in your life. You need to do it because your situation, the way that Jesus worked in your faith, through your faith, in spite of your faith, the way that he worked in your life, you need to share because there's somebody out there right now waiting to hear it because they're in the exact same situation. Do you know right now that there are a bunch of people in Houston that are looking to Nashville? And why is that? Not because we're sending the volunteers to go help them. Because seven years ago, there was a great flood in the city of Nashville, one that, one that we had never seen before. And they're asking the question, well, how did Nashville, how did Nashville survive this flood? You know what the greatest thing for us to do is start to share our stories for our Houston friends going, hey, I know it's bad and your house is up to here in water and you've lost everything, but I'm promising you, if you'll keep your faith in the right place, Jesus will provide and take care of you. There are greater things than material possessions. Some of you, you've had that medical situation where maybe God has not miraculously fixed it and you're still dealing with it, but your outlook on life is a lot better because you know that Jesus is working. You know it. Start sharing it with somebody. Maybe a situation where you invited a friend to church and they came. Share it. Why? Because there's somebody in here like, man, I've been wanting to invite that coworker. I just don't know if they would respond. You need to share your story. It took me 14 times to get that person in church, but they finally showed up. Now they're a part of my life group, or maybe they're a part of another church, but God orchestrated that first encounter, and now they're on their path. How incredible that would be. We need to share our stories. You know, one of the things that we think of sometimes about evangelism is, I must walk with the Bible and say it cover to cover for you to understand the power of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, if you ballpark the Bible, but your faith in Jesus was so strong, he'll make sure the words that come out of your mouth are just the right ones. Because your faith is in the right place. And some of you will be like, oh, where did that come from? 
your life group leader would be like, because I taught you? Just kidding. <clears throat> but I will tell you, it's because of your faith in Jesus. I believe it's in your faith in Jesus. So what can we do? If, you've, if you're taking notes, I want to give you some notes. If you haven't been taking notes now, I've been drawing pictures, then mark these off to the side. What do we do from this? Then we need to put our total faith in Jesus Christ. Not partial, not 10%. We need to put our total faith in Jesus Christ. That means we need to do the phrase, all in. I mean, how many football teams and how many organizations around the country are using that phrase, all in? We need to don't say it. We need to be it. We need to be all in on Jesus. And if you're all in is just a little bit, then, then throw it all in. If you're all in as, man, I'm here every time that door opens or 30 minutes before, then be all in. But let's put our total faith in Jesus. Maybe some of you need to do that. And if you do, I want to encourage you. There's a cross up in the mezzanine for those folks that are sitting up there. There are two crosses on either side. They're going to be prayer partners here in just a few moments. They're going to be on the sides and upstairs as well. I'll be down here in the front. And if you say, I've never even put any faith in Jesus before, then you come find one of us that are going to be located around these crosses. And you say, would you help me really for the first time in my life or for this rededication? Would you let me help me find out how I can put my total faith in Jesus Christ? And you walk out of here all in. Maybe for some of you, you just need to replace something that's heavy on your heart, something happening in your life. And you need to put your total faith that God is going to show up in that situation. I say the same for you. You come up here. There's a little cards. There's a little tax. You put it on that cross, and you put all your faith that Jesus is going to work in your situation, whether it takes five minutes or it takes five years, that Jesus is going to work in your situation. And you put your total faith that what you lay before the Lord, he will take care of. And if you need to, the prayer partners are there for you as well. You need to say, hey, I'm going to have a hard time putting my whole faith, and I need somebody to partner with me to put my faith. I promise you, these ladies and gentlemen that are going to stand here, they are friendly, they are wonderful people, and they would commit not only today but for this next season of that situation to pray with you. And then together you will put it on the cross. Maybe you know of a friend in this, in this room. They're sitting right next to you. You know that they ha really haven't put their faith in a situation that you're fully aware of. Then I would encourage you peacefully, carefully, and without hurting anybody or, or causing any bloodshed, that you encourage them and you will go get them and say, let me pray with you right now, today. Let's pray together for this expected change that you need and expect and anticipate God moving powerfully in your life. And you come and pray. I promise you, Hunter and the worship team, they would be happy to come up with as many songs as it takes for you to do business. And I promise you, we will leave this building open as long as it takes as people are praying. There is no glue on that seat. There is no magnet on that seat. You get up and put your total faith in Jesus today. Second thing, I want you to be like the blind man. I want you to make your voice heard. I think we need to be careful sometimes in worship about making our voice heard because there's some things that kind of weird people out. But I think we need to start praying and we need to start saying, God, I need you. I need you. So in church time, when prayer partners, then you walk over to a partner and you say, I need you, I need you to help me find God and I need my voice to be heard. Will you pray with me about something? You need to go find a friend right here. You need in your personal prayer time, in your quiet times, in, in your car driving to work, in your trips that you may be going on because it's a long weekend. You need to make your voice heard and you need to speak to God. I promise you right now, there is no prayer, there is no systematic words that you have to say in correct orders. It's just a conversation between you and God. 
When Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil that was torn and it separated. There is nothing that separates you from the, the, the throne of Jesus, the throne of God. You just start speaking and whatever's on your heart, you just talk to God and you make your voice heard. And you be like the parable in the Bible. You can look it up about the persistent widow. And you just keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying until God either changes your heart or changes your situation. But make your voice heard. The last thing I would share with you, what we can take away from this is, we need to share those stories. I'm not going to repeat myself, but I'm just going to encourage you one more time. Go find somebody to share your story of how Jesus has been working. And let me tell you something. This isn't from me as a, like, hey, you guys do this. This is an encouragement and challenge to me. It's easy for me because I have a microphone. But there are places that we can go, restaurants that I love to frequent, maybe a little too much. But there are places that I like to go, and I can share my story with the waiter or the waitress or somebody at the restaurant or the, the hardware store or the grocery store. One of our greatest things has been our, our local Speedway, which is a convenience store here in Nashville if you're not from this area. I spend a little too much time and a whole lot of money in there that I probably shouldn't have. But you know what's been great is getting to know the people that work there and being able to start sharing my life with them to a point where my friend Charles is like, how's mom and the kids? That's an open door for me to begin to share. And I even got one of, our, uh, one of the employees about a year ago. He actually came to church and had a great time. He and his wife live in a different part of the city, so it's hard to come, but I'll never forget him showing up and how excited I was to see him because he was like, man, you kept telling me about your church. I had to come check it out. My man. But you know what's greater than anything that you're facing in this world? Jesus. Scott, you preach a lot of Jesus. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do. If I preach anything other than Jesus, it's not a good thing. Jesus. We don't need to think Jesus will change our life. We need to anticipate. We need to expect. and We need to get ready for the change that only Jesus can provide. As we get ready to respond, I want to challenge you with one thing. Don't treat Jesus like a slot machine. Don't treat, treat Jesus like a scratch-off or a random draw or publisher's clearinghouse or any other gambling thing that you can think of. This isn't by chance that Jesus will once again in your life. We invite him to get involved in our life. We invite him into our situations, and then we begin to expect and anticipate the change that only Jesus can provide.